That song was written uh, right for this sermon. Uh, Joanne received it uh, some time ago and wrote that for this morning for you. I wanted to say just two things before the message today. Uh, first of all, the, the, this sermon today is sort of a theology test. Theology means our view of God. Do you really believe that the God who made the universe, takes charge of the mountains and the stars and the seas, really knows you by name, cares about you personally, as in, and is involved in what's happening to you? Or do you think he's sort of a sacred blur up there, as philosophers call him, and he just set the universe in motion, and now it's up to us? We Christians believe God is personal, calls us by name, knows how many hairs are on our head. Therefore, he does give guidance if you need it. And your view of God has everything to do with um, your Christian life and how you cope with problems and how you cope with life. Secondly, if this God does give guidance, what do you think the role of the Bible is? Uh, is the Bible really the way the God of the universe talks to us, or is it just a book we've inherited from the past? We Christians believe that book is a living word, and we look to it, and when we open its pages, God talks to us. Kind of test yourself of where you are as you listen to the message today. It'll have everything to do with whether you believe when you need it, you can ask God for guidance. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for a time when we can open your word. It becomes our authority. It becomes the means by which you can use a human vehicle like me to talk to us and give us your word. And I pray your Holy Spirit will work to that end now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last fall, one of my staff came in and they said, well, you know, right now I wish I could just crawl up into God's lap, look him right in the eye, and maybe he could take me by the jowls and just tell me exactly what he wants me to do on this issue. I wish he would send some definite sign that would just assure me that I'm in his will. You know, and I thought, at one time or another, every believer is in that posture. We have moments when we just want to hear God's directing voice or receive some definite sign regarding a relationship, a business decision, a career choice, an expend expenditure, or just a fear and a struggle. Our text offers help. First, the Bible affirms in this text today that the living God does give very specific personal guidance on many issues to believers. In James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproaching, that is without rebuking you for coming and asking him, and it will be given. That's as clear as crystal. God gives believers personal guidance, and it comes from many sources. The Bible, friends, circumstances, our prayer life. I have found most often in my life, and perhaps you've discovered it's true for you, that God most often uses the Bible for giving directives, me directives at least, regarding moral decisions, regarding money, relationships, my relationship with my wife or your relationship with your husband, children, or as we learned last week through Jay, priorities for the game of life as we march through life and face this myriad of decisions every day. In other words, we're not on our own. If we're Christians, we've made God the Lord of our life and we believe he's in charge and he is guiding us. That's either the greatest myth or it's the most wonderful news in the world. The psalmist uses 175 verses in Psalm 119 to thank God for the guidance 
his laws offer. Summarized when he said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Henry Drummond once said, there is a will of God for me, which is a particular will, different from the will he has for anyone else, a private will, a will which no one else knows about. Isn't that wonderful? The, the, the psalmist, uh, in a sense, articulates an affirmation of Mr. Drummond's truth. Here in 32.8, I will instruct you. I'll counsel you. I'll teach you the way you should go with my eye upon you. The struggle in seeking divine guidance for most people is interesting. Maybe it's true for you. It's certainly true for me. The problem is not in finding God's will. The problem is in following it, applying it, obeying it once we know what it is. As I have struggled with this subject, I need to be honest, and I want to ask you to be honest. Most of the time, even today, in the area where you're struggling, if you are, we know exactly what the Bible says on the subject. But we like to play around the edges. Uh, I can easily come up with 50 reasons why my situation is the exception for this divine directive, even after I know what it is. We can keep on seeking advice from others until we find something or someone that agrees with what we really want to do, even though we know clearly what God wants to do. We just continue this journey until somehow, because we don't like what the Bible says, we'll find some other Christian, some pastor, some counselor, who will just affirm, though, that in our case, we're the exception and we're going to go ahead and do what we want to do. You know, sometimes people talk to me about searching for God's will, and it's interesting. They'll immediately begin telling me what they've learned from their friends, their family, and their therapist. And then they'll say, you know, this advice seems to contradict what I already know to be God's will on the subject. What should I do? They're not really asking. They know what they should do, but they want a pastor or someone to confirm, but you're the exception. So kind of let's uh, rationalize the word of God and listen to all these other sources. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe friends and family and even circumstances and our feelings and our thoughts are good sources for guidance. But this, these sources must always be tested by what the Bible says. Personally, I must be very careful in this area because I don't like to offend people. I confess, and you've heard me say it many times, I am a people pleaser. I like to be liked. So when I ask friends for advice, I don't want to offend them if I don't want to follow it. What's more, sometimes advice from secular sources is much more attractive because it's an advice that feeds my feelings, my desires, rather than God's truth. And very often, feelings and desires are in direct contradiction to God's truth. The secular world will always tell us to take the easy way, to do what everybody else is doing, to do what feels good. And we'll, the world will scoff at self-denial, and submission to God's laws, calling these things guilt-ridden demons from the past. And they'll say that's the sickness of the church, to believe that a God out there puts normative rules on his people and we have to obey them where we live with guilt. There's some safeguards against rationalization if that's your problem when it comes to following the word, will of God. It works for me and it won't be new. The best safeguard I find in keeping Gerber on track is to be daily in the Bible. 
where God has a habit of hitting me right between the eyes with a verse that speaks directly to my particular struggle. I don't know if you've had that experience. My staff member says, I wish I could crawl up in God's lap, look him in the eye and get a directive from him. In the morning when I read scripture, and let's say I'm facing a decision or I'm struggling with a temptation, inevitably a verse will literally hop right out of the scripture. It'll speak directly as if God were saying, Gerber, this is exactly what I want you to do. This is exactly the answer I have for you. The Bible won't let me dodge or change the truth. It convicts me. A verse can also highlight the fallacy of other advice or my feelings that I might have rationalized. There's a cliche. Let your conscience be your guide. That's not in the Bible. I believe if I'm speaking for my own conscience, my conscience is only a good guide to the degree that I submit it to God's word rather than to my feelings and to my tendency to rationalize. I have a deceitful heart, the Bible says, and I believe it. It's desperately wicked. It can only be tamed and bridled by the word of God. Or my conscience, my feelings will lead me in a hundred different directions and many, and many times right into tragedy. And then I found that asking counsel from Christian friends can help my tendency to rationalize. Friends who I know will be honest with me can help me find my blind spots you know, I love it when friends will listen to me and then and be very patient, but then point out the fallacies in my argument. And then they don't judge me. They just simply said, well, I'll pray for you till you get it. This fact is one more reason why we urge every one of you to be in a small group. That isn't just some habit we have here at Menlo Press. We can't live this Christian life alone. The devil loves to get us isolated so that we're only in competition with ourselves. Then we get lost in rationalization and whatever else. We need each other. Another weapon against rationalization is to be in prayer. It's in prayer that our wills are, are softened into submission to God's authority. No matter how intense the temptation might be, how complex the problem, how overwhelming the challenge. You know, we said that one of the things we wanted to have happen to you this year is we wanted you to grow in your prayer life. That's the greatest gift we could give you because that's how we make contact with, in a personal way with this personal God. I have never heard his voice in prayer, but something happens in prayer where God speaks to me. And, and my hardened, stubborn will is melted before him and I submit to him. You see, as followers of Jesus, the day we became a Christian, we acknowledge an authority higher than our own will, higher than our own desires. And that fact makes us a different breed of humanity from what's walking out there in the world. Henry David Thoreau said, if a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it's because he hears a different drumbeat. Let him step to the music he hears, however measured or far away. In scripture, in consultation with friends, in prayer, we we hear a different drumbeat, the Word of God. Sometimes in stillness, we hear Him above the roar of stress and confusion and lust that often clouds our search for the will of God on an issue. So God does give directive, and I've taken a long time to say that. He gives guidance. But this leads us to a, a, a second very important question in the text. Today, if you're struggling, particularly with a temptation, you know, you, unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, you won't hear what I've said. You'll write it off. I've been there. I've listened to people when I'm in a particular struggle, and I know they're talking truth, but I'll write it off. 
How do we recognize and then apply divine guidance to our personal situation? That's the only place this sermon comes alive. Lloyd Ogilvie offers help. He quotes F.B. Meyer in describing an incident in crossing the Irish Channel on a dark, starless night. I stood on the deck by the captain and asked him, how do you find Holyhead Harbor on such a dark night as this? And he said, you see those three lights? He said, those three lights must line up behind each other. And when we see them as one, we know we're on course, we're in the exact position and we'll ultimately end up safely in the harbor. And then he spelled out this lesson. When we want to know God's will, there are three important keys to keep in mind. First and foremost, the word of God. Then our feelings and desires. And then the trend of circumstances. And if you put circumstances or feelings above the word of God, you're going to end up crashing on the rocks. I found some questions that I wanted to give to you that might help you remember this sermon by Wednesday, and also it might be a kind of a take-home thing for you to use if you're struggling with the Word of God. These questions are in your bulletin, but we're going to snap them up on the video also to help us remember them. Let me say, if you're seeking for God's guidance, these questions will help. I use them all the time. The problem is that when you ask them honestly and answer them, you can't dodge God's guidance. First, is what I want to do consistent with the Ten Commandments, and I would say generically with the whole Word of God. If I do it, will it glorify Jesus and enable me to grow as his disciple? Has prolonged prayer and thought produced an inner feeling of rightness about it? Rightness is very important. Is it an expression of authentic love and will it bring ultimate good in the lives of the people involved? Are circumstances indicating that what I want to do is feasible or will pursuing what I believe is God's will impact negatively my family and my other commitments and priorities? Will my expenditure still allow tithing plus generous giving of my money for the Lord's work and the needs of others? These questions really work. You ought to put them in your wallet or your purse. Sometimes it's only in retrospect that we can see that submitting to God's word rather than feelings has really protected us from terrible decisions, from tragedy. I want to give this warning. Submitting to God's will over feelings is not a popular philosophy in today's culture. We all know that. The theme today is do what feels good. Let the devil take tomorrow. The problem with the eat, drink, and be merry philosophy is that tomorrow comes and we still have to live with the consequences of our poor choices. <clears throat> this leads us to a third truth. Our text qualifies finding God's guidance by affirming we must rely on our faith rather than feelings and desires. The text says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, will receive anything from the Lord. The text warns us that God, receiving God's guidance is related to our refusal to be double-minded. What's double-minded mean? Well, I'll give you three possible meanings. 
It can refer to our habit of saying publicly, I want God's will on this issue. And at the same time, deep inside of our souls, we want something else desperately, so badly that we'll say to ourselves, I only have one life to live. I have a right to be happy. So if it isn't God's will, I'm going to do it anyway. That's double-minded. Or it's other people are doing it, getting away with it. They're happy. So why am I so concerned about obeying God's will? Or this is a good one. My circumstances make me so unique. I have been so victimized, so full of pain, so this, so that, that it's only logical God's making an exception in my case. That's double-mindedness. Double-mindedness can refer to our refusal to believe God's even involved in our crisis, that he even cares. You might have a theology that says God's up there, but he's unreachable, he's not involved, he doesn't intervene, so I'm going to just do what I want to do. He doesn't answer prayer. That's double-mindedness. Double-mindedness can refer to a common fear, and this is where I plug in, that if we seek God's will, his response will be the opposite of what we really want and desire. His will will ruin our lives. It'll take away our pleasure, rob us of joy, make us miserable, and we wish, so much so we'll wish we never asked him for guidance in the first place. Many of us view God as a Scrooge who only sits up there and lays out rules that make life miserable. We don't understand. He has never given a rule. He has never refused us any desire that, unless it's to protect us and it's for our good. But we're so short-sighted, so caught up in the lusts of our culture, we don't believe that. To conquer double-mindedness is to reaffirm our commitment as disciples that our lives are not our own. We gave them to Jesus. He bought them with the price of his blood the day we became a Christian. We're not our own boss. We can't follow our feelings. Our desire is not the ultimate authority in life. Jesus said, anyone who comes after me must pick up his or her cross and follow me. What does a cross mean? A cross implies death, dying to self, dying to desires that make us double-minded. If you're like me, only the Holy Spirit sometimes within us can provide that supernatural power we need to say no when feelings are raging and desires are out of control and yes to the will of God, even if it means a kind of a death inside because it hurts so much, when we're stressed to the breaking point, when we're right on the brink and tempted to throw in the towel and we don't think this self-denial bit's worth it any longer. I want to remind us again, God's will for us is always rooted in his love. He is withholding nothing from you today that's except for what would hurt you. His will is always best. And then one little P.S. Sometimes we have to wait patiently for a reinforcement that obeying God and doing it his way pays off. In the end, the Bible says God works everything together for good. But it's in the end, not necessarily in the in-between time. God more, knows more than we do. He sees the big picture. And in these days of instant gratification and email and quick responses, we want a quick response from God, a quick guarantee that obeying him is going to pay off. And the Bible says he won't give that. We have to trust him. We have to, in faith, trust him so we won't be double-minded. So the answer to the question, does God give personal guidance to believers, is a resounding yes. However, to find his guidance involves a choice of trusting the authority of his word, the Bible, 
and giving priority to that authority over feelings, friends, circumstances, desires, thoughts, whatever else is clouding the water for you today in seeking God's will. And it really boils down as usual to so much about Christianity. It's a choice. God will guide you if you want him to. The issue is, do you want him to? Let's bow in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word that's like a sword that cuts through our rationalization, cuts away the excuses and the feelings. And thank you that you love us so much that you would never deprive us of anything except that which would destroy your plan for us. We love you for that. Help us to trust it today as we face decisions in Jesus' name. Amen.